Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Mission Nation, to the Process This podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode number seven. I hope you've had a great start to the new year. I hope you've settled back into those normal routines. I know that I sometimes find it a little more difficult after a long vacation to really get refocused, to get engaged, especially with work and with kids and those after-school activities. Well, I, I read an interesting fact the other day. They say that by now, most people have ditched their New Year's resolutions. They say that about 12 days into those resolutions, they're out the door. Well, that's just depressing. If you're still going strong, congrats, more power to you. But if you're like me, you know what? Who cares? I say let's ditch those resolutions, ditch the depression, and join me and let's get refreshed, let's get energized, let's do what we do best, and that's provide great patient care. On today's show, we're talking to Walt Deacon about steam and water quality in sterile processing. You're not going to want to miss what he has to say. But before we do that, we have the segment, What's on My Mind, followed by Mailbox Mania. Let's start the show with my favorite funky beat and the segment, What's on My Mind. Before I go on my rant today, I want to talk about this segment and really how I get the material each episode. You know, I do work for Isham, so truthfully, I do have a bias towards the organization. But when it comes to the material in this episode, I'm not told what to talk about. I'm not told what to say. You know, and I feel that I really have the liberty or the freedom to talk about any subject that's applicable to our profession. Currently, the segments are not sponsored, so there's really no conflict of interest. You know, I'm not getting paid. Well, with the exception ish of my employer. Now, I'm saying all this because the last episode I spoke about poster presentations. You know, presenting a poster at the annual conference in Chicago. It wasn't a ploy to get you to submit one, but merely my thoughts on why poster presentations can be beneficial for you and others who are experiencing similar issues. And for this episode, you know, I'm going to talk about being active, actively involved in a chapter. Again, my reasoning is being that I believe that chapter involvement can really enhance your career. So recently I read an article in the Healthcare Purchasing News, and it was authored by Julie Williamson. You know, and Julie also works for Isham and is the editor of the Process Magazine. As you may notice, from time to time, especially in the Mailbox Mania segment, I'll review different publications. And Isham, uh, you know, oftentimes will have a regular column in different publications, similar to Healthcare Purchasing News, where we have the Isham viewpoint. So you're going to see from time to time, folks like Julie Williamson uh, in different publications, which is great. Now, this article titled... Active chapter involvement drives quality outcomes, opportunities. This article talks about being involved in your local chapter and the benefits from involvement. And then it has some testimonials 
uh, towards the end of the article. But as I read the article, I tried to think about how being involved in a local chapter could really benefit me. You know, here's the deal. I get it. You know, as sterile processing technicians, you know, you work hard every day, every week. And most of you guys are taking call or you have weekend shifts and that's just your work life. So really the thought of adding one more thing can seem daunting. You know, and I understand, but I hope today that I can persuade you to kind of re-examine uh, being involved in a local chapter and seeing what being involved can do for you and your career. First of all, networking. Networking is huge. You know, network is getting together, building relationships with other professionals just like you. You know, maybe your facility is having similar issues as someone else in the chapter. You know, this is your opportunity to see how they handle the issue. Maybe listen to what worked, listen to what didn't work. You know, maybe you can apply that in your facility. Connecting with others can help start those conversations. You know, there's been times in my life where just knowing somebody by networking, you know, having a relationship with someone got me that foot in the door, the job that I really wanted. You know, without that relationship, I was just another nobody in this long list of folks trying to get the same job. There's nothing wrong with using these relationships to help your career. Again, getting the foot in the door through networking and building relationships, man, it's a, it's a great way to advance your career. Another benefit is most chapters have educational opportunities available that you can tap into. In fact, uh, before I got into sterile processing, you know, I attended a weekend conference held by a local Isham chapter. You know, I gained so much information from that single conference. I was able to use that information and make changes at my facility. And guess what? Eventually, it started that path that started my career into sterile processing. Right. So local chapters, local meetings, you know, they're also a great way to meet vendor partners, learn about different products, you know, trial different products. Chapter meetings provide opportunities to learn about high topics and to hear from experts in those fields. You know, there's always something to learn. Right. And then lastly, if you're a technician, you know, and you're trying to climb that career ladder, a great place to start is involvement in the local chapter. You know, run for a position within the chapter. It's a terrific way to build leadership skills and show that you can be a leader. A great way to stand out from the others when you're trying to get that supervisor or manager position, really to showcase those skills that you've learned from your local chapter. So that's going to conclude my rant on local Isham chapters today. So if you're interested, I hope that you will check out the more than 60 Isham chapters across the 42 states. Uh, you can find a listing of these chapters. It's on the Isham website. Check it out. You know, get involved. Be active. This week in Mailbox Mania, we're looking at the recently released January-February 2020 publication of Process Magazine. Now, the first article we're going to look at is titled, Top Strategies for Improving ORSP Relations. Now, this article talks about 
really the relationship between the operating room and sterile processing and how that relationship is at the core of successful patient surgical outcomes. Now the article goes on to talk about ongoing challenges that we face, uh, strengthening those interdisciplinary teamwork, and then leading for success. Uh, one, one quote that I really liked in the article says, eventually all teams will face problems and experience conflict. Conditions that can destroy a team usually begin with confusion, which can contribute to a lack of clear goals and inadequate leadership. Confusion can process to negatively and suspicion directed toward leadership as team members become more insecure. Now, I don't know about you, but I've worked with good teams and I've also worked with teams that were really challenging. So if you're experiencing uh, challenges with different teams, you know, I really suggest you check out this article. It has some good advice and some good suggestions. Now the next article is titled Endoscopy and Endoscope Processing, an Overview and Update. Now the learning objectives for this article read, uh, review the purpose for endoscopic procedures and the clinical setting in which they are typically performed, identify the different types of flexible endoscopes and the importance of diligently following those manufacturer's instructions for use, and last, understand the vital role of point-of-use treatment and endoscope inspection and testing. So this article also features three tables, and uh, that first table describes uh, the different areas in a healthcare facility that uses endoscopes, right? So there's several different areas, not just your GI lab. And then the next table describes the three main purposes for using an endoscope. And lastly, uh, the last table says, talks about different types of flexible endoscopes that you could really see in your facility. So uh, an excellent article, uh, a good review for endoscopes if you are processing endoscopes, if that's really in your wheelhouse. The next article is titled, Developing Policies and Procedures to Effectively Manage High-Risk Endoscope Procedures. Uh, so a little different take on endoscopy here. Uh, the learning objectives for this article, really to identify source of post-endoscopy infections, address how to develop policies and procedures to reduce infection transmission risk, and then last, review key factors to consider when sterilizing endoscopes used for those high-risk procedures. Now, we should all know by now that when patients undergo an endoscopy procedure, the threat of infection transmission from the reusable endoscope to the patient is a real concern. You know, there are documented outbreaks originating from contaminated endoscopes, you know, that have focused the attention of regulatory bodies and healthcare leaders on design and the processing of these complex tools. And these findings have led to revised guidelines and processes and higher risk management expectations for healthcare providers like us. So like the previous article, this article also has three informative tables uh, that list uh, first the recent outbreak investigations and the suspected sources of those infectious contaminations. You know, that table lists uh, suspected root causes, which can be beneficial if you're currently having issues or you really want an idea of what to look for. Now the next table shows examples of uh, risk for infection transmission and mitigation activities 
and it does this by listing out the potential risk and ways to mitigate those risks, along with the test or the procedures that identify those failures. So a great table, uh, it's really good, uh, especially if you're trying to figure out how to, uh, what tests to use and how to deal uh, with these risks. And then last, the table, uh, this last table compares sterilization options that are currently available for flexible endoscopes, which is helpful because it lists out the total cycle time for processing. It lists the validated working lengths for the uh, different scopes, and then it has other considerations uh, for you to review when researching sterilization alternatives. So again, another great article, especially if you're trying to decide what to do with those pesky high-risk endoscope uh, scopes. The next article in the magazine is under the Tools of Trade section titled, Failure is Not an Option in Sterile Processing. Perspective can impact success. And our article says, we exist to provide service to patients and colleagues, and as such, routinely, we have to react to the demands placed upon us. There is simply no way to dictate or, in some cases, even predict what is to come. But amidst these challenges, however, there are things that we can fully control. Our thoughts, our perceptions of what is happening around us. Often there are positive and negative sides to every story, and we must decide for ourselves which side to embrace or which conclusions we're going to make. This article goes on to talk about uh, seeing the positive in every situation. And although we have setbacks and we have glitches, as professionals, it's our job to find a way to get things done and ensure we do whatever is necessary to manage our task and roles properly, safely, and provide what is needed for our customers and patients. Now, at the end of this article, the author regales us of an epic tale. Now, it's either a woe or triumph, depending on how you see it, whether you see it positively or you see it negatively. You'll have to decide as you dive into this article. And last but not least, in the Inside Washington column, Sue Klasik talks about the recent FDA panel discussions. Now, Sue represented Isham and was invited to present at this panel discussion. Now, the panel targeted two critical processing topics, uh, the reduction or elimination of ethylene oxide and the discussion on reprocessing of duodenoscopes. I encourage you to see what the outcomes are, uh, where the FDA stands by checking out the Inside Washington article. That's going to conclude this segment of Mailbox Mania. Tune in next episode as we explore other publications to keep you up to date and in the know. Our featured guest speaker today is Walt Deacon. Walt is going to talk to us about steam and water quality. Walt Deacon is president of Thermo Diagnostic Company, where he is responsible for overseeing steam system surveys and troubleshooting. He is also extremely knowledgeable in sterile processing, steam quality testing, and evaluations and provides in-service training for facility engineers and sterile processing departments. Walt has 35 years of STEAM system application engineering. He is a member of ASME and AMI and a professional partner of ISHM. Join me in welcoming Walt to the ISHM Nation podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Walt. You're welcome. 
So let's go ahead and get started. Our first question, and really, I think steam and water quality, you know, maybe two separate topics that sterile processing professionals and managers are really unsure about. Um, so let's start out with some basics. For example, many people think that water is water. Why does water that has been treated and made safe for drinking vary so much from city to city or state to state? Well, it depends on the source of the water. Uh, there's two general sources, and I could uh, use Chicago as an illustration. They take uh, water directly out of Lake Michigan. But then as soon as you get out of Cook County and into the state, it becomes well water, which has been filtered through limestone. So it picks up lots of calcium carbonate, and that becomes a hazard when it, when it comes time to do cleaning and sterile processing. Calcium carbonate doesn't want to let go until we heat the water up, and then it lets go, and it gets all over our instruments, all over our uh, washer, all over uh, everything, and it and it also inhibits the ability of uh, soaps and lubricants to do their job. How does that water quality impact cleaning and disinfecting products themselves? All right, so the harder the water is or the more contaminants or solids that it has dissolved in it uh, and restricts the ability of the detergents and the lubricants to also mix with that water. So the more solids you have in the water to begin with, the less the lubricants and, and detergents want to uh, also mix with that water. So the we do that when we wash our hands, though the water feels sticky instead of uh, slippery and, and, and like we're getting really clean and, and rinsing our hands. Instead, you come away from the sink feeling like, uh, I'm not sure I did that right. <laughs> when facilities or departments are looking, what are they looking for when they start testing their water? All right, so they're going to uh, check two basic uh, uh, features. One is the total dissolved solids. Uh, and the other is the pH. And so those are things that can change on a daily basis even. Uh, and then the uh, presence of any metals like copper or lead. And then the uh, presence of carbonates and uh, and calcium carbonate. That's going to be the main uh, thing. So we, we can test for hardness. We can test for the metal content. We can test for the pH. Who routinely tests these things? Is it the CS department? Is there, are we looking for engineering or facilities to do those type of testing? Well, uh, to begin with, the city or municipality is usually going to do uh, this as a, as a first pass. And so uh, they're a good contact for sterile processing. And then facilities engineers, typically in an inpatient hospital-sized uh, facility, they are going to do this on a daily basis. Uh, number one, because they are going to inject this water into the boiler. But number two, they're making hot domestic water. They're feeding domestic water, uh, cold domestic water. They are uh, sending water to the cooling towers, and they're sending water throughout the system uh, to do building heat. So they, they've got uh, about five streams that they're managing, and so they want to see what's what's coming in. And so they're, they're typically going to test on a daily basis as well. Sounds like you really need a good relationship with your facilities, partners, really, when it comes to water. Yeah, and a lot of times we haven't even called them up and, and said, hey, tell me about our daily water testing and, and what do you look for? And, you know, it impacts me because I'm using hot and cold water and steam, and so I need to learn more about it. And, and that's, that's a question that a facilities engineer should be happy to help with. 
So once a facility's water quality has been tested, uh, what would cause it to change? All right. So the again, the source of the water, uh, I live in a town that has three different wells that they pull from. And then you go a mile down the road to the next town, and they are pulling water from an underground river. Uh, also, when you get to towns that are pulling from a lake or a reservoir, uh, the levels in that lake or reservoir change. And so the pickup point that they will take the water from can change, and, and that will uh, have uh, different levels of um, carbonates and, and manganese and calcium and that, and that kind of thing. Okay. So as a CS person, are there obvious signs that we can be looking for to tell that this water quality is really bad? Sure. When I walk into a hospital, first thing I look at is the drinking fountains. That aerator uh, where the where the water spouts out, if, uh, if they've got hard water, you're going to see a blue-white ring around that, uh, that disperser. Yes. In the drinking fountain, also in the washer decontams, the, the trays unload on the side and then they they drip water uh, into this drain tray, and, and you're going to see on the stainless steel drain tray any uh, residue uh, that the water left behind. Can you talk a little bit about some of the impact that water has on steam quality? Sure. So uh, steam is water vapor, and imagine a pot of water on the stove, and you're going to boil the water all day long. All right, so uh, that... Uh, that pot has, has um, tap water in it, and we boil off some steam, and that drops the level down, so we have to add some more tap water. And then add some more tap water again, and add some more tap water again, and we're boiling off pure H2O, but we're accumulating uh, these minerals in the, uh, in the boiling uh, pot, and that uh, is going to turn to mud or rocks uh, eventually, and so the boiler in the steam plant is the exact same thing. And so we have to manage the accumulation of those solids. So we'll do what's called blowdown. Uh, there's bottom blowdown and surface blowdown, and they're two different systems, and they get actuated at two different times. But facilities engineers have a schedule for doing this and a, and a program to uh, monitor uh, how much or how little they need to blow down. Are there other factors that can uh, impact steam quality? Uh, yes, so we have uh, the solids that accumulate in the boiler, and if they get uh, to be uh, too much, just like making potatoes or spaghetti at home, you get uh, solids introduced to the water and it wants to boil over. And so boiling over uh, of the water in the boiler can cause uh, uh, wet steam. And then because there's some solids now being introduced into the steam system, that can impact valves and drain valves called steam traps. And, and then that can impact our steam quality as well. So uh, it all begins at the boiler. Sounds like the boiler is really the source of a lot of, a lot of trouble when you start having issues. It's a start, source of trouble, but it's also the source of the good steam that we want. So it, it's a, uh, it's, Runs fine if it's managed well, and then uh, if not, then uh, sterile processing is really the first department to know about it because they're the ones using steam directly uh, on the process. Everything else in the hospital is uh, using steam in a heat exchanger and then returning the condensate back to the boiler. So sterile processing is really the, the first place that the steam goes to where uh, people are really going to notice an issue right away. 
how often should steam quality be, uh, be tested? All right. So ST79 has a uh, section on steam quality, and it recommends testing uh, the steam quality whenever you put a new sterilizer in, whenever that sterilizer is relocated, whenever we have uh, big changes to the piping serving sterile processing, or whenever we have big changes to the water supply. So we, we said that could happen daily, right? But uh, uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about a, a big change to the water treatment system uh, within the facility as opposed to what the city or municipality is feeding us. What are the first things that come to your mind when somebody comes up to you and tells you, hey, we're seeing some staining on our instruments? What's, what's the first advice you give them? What's the first thing that comes to mind? All right, so the uh, the nature of the stain is the is the first thing to consider. So uh, a microscope comes in handy there, and most SPDs don't have a microscope, but there's a department usually down the hallway from them called the lab, and they've got microscopes like crazy. So the first thing to do is have a look at what you're uh, experiencing in the way of staining. Uh, it can be uh, steam-related. It can also be uh, water related from our washer decontams, our detergents, our lubes, uh, or or it could be um, directly from the city or municipality water. So, as an expert, what uh, what is the best advice you can give us for uh, beginning the troubleshooting process when we think we have some issues or we're seeing some issues? Well, uh, first thing I always recommend is get every all the stakeholders together. You've got facilities, engineers. Uh, they're usually the ones that are in contact with the city or municipality uh, water supply. Uh, we want to know if there's any uh, new construction in the area. If somebody's putting a restaurant in down the street and we're, and we're doing a water system tie-in there. Mm. Uh, uh, maybe also we want to bring the water treatment specialist to the table because they treat the water for the cooling towers, they treat the water for the building heat system, and they treat the water for the steam system. So we, we want to have everybody with knowledge of that system at the table when there's an issue like this. Uh, so last question. Most of us work in facilities where you know money is really tight and expenses are scrutinized. Uh, what advice can you give uh, to us about establishing a water system or quality measurement system? Uh, and how can we uh, convince our facilities that we need this? We need to keep abreast of the water and steam issues. That uh, And how do we address them and how are they identified? All right. Well, the main thing is, is are we impacting patient safety and or have we had to cancel any procedures uh, related to any stains or, or water quality or steam quality issues because the cost of, uh, you know, half a canceled procedure is worth more than any of these uh, water uh, uh, tests could uh, could possibly approach. So the, the main thing is to put it into perspective of how does this impact uh, hospital uh, facility performance and patient safety and, and then Water quality is is something that should be right up there at the top of the list in terms of something that needs to be managed, measured, and controlled. You know, thank you so much, Walt, for taking the time. Thank you for your expertise and sharing that with us today. You're welcome. Again, thank you, Walt, for speaking with us today. 
Isham Nation, episode number seven, is in the books. Thank you for listening. One last reminder, show me how you're going to improve patient care by submitting those poster presentations due January 31st. It's not too late to get your submission in and be a part of the Isham Conference, bringing it home Chicago. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code H2O. Again, the code for this episode is H2O. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.